Let's talk about the world of science. It's a test tube Thursday. Dan Riskin is here. Thought it'd be this week because I saw something about a bat, but I don't remember what it was. Oh, you're killing me. You're killing me. Okay. That, but that's great. I, I mean, was going to send it to, to you, but I figured you must get bat monthly. I do, but uh, you know, I do. I, it's actually it comes out four times a year. It's called Bats, and it's the publication of Bat Conservation International. But it doesn't cover everything. I always need to have my eyes open. So if you do see stuff, do send it my way. I always appreciate it. I do catch a lot from people sending stuff to me through social media and stuff. So it's helpful. So a discovery of a six-planet solar system, and astronomers are thrilled to death. Yeah, you know what? This is um, this is really neater than it looks at first glance. So, okay, they found a place 100 light years away, and there's a star, and it's got planets going around it. We've done that before, and that's not that exciting. But what's neat is that they found six planets, and their orbital period, like the time it takes for them to do a year to go around the star, they're all multiples of each other they're all in ratios of like three like one of them will go around exactly three times while another one goes around exactly two times and another one goes around exactly four times or something like that and that is something that i had read uh before it cannot happen and specifically with the example of our solar system if you look at jupiter it takes 4333 earth days to do an orbit which is like 11.86 years but it's not 11 years it's not exactly a multiple of our year it's it, it's specifically not a multiple because the thinking is if you had a big planet like jupiter going around and the earth was kind of in in a say doing two orbits for every time jupiter went around or something like that we would get into sync with it the way you can slosh a bathtub water if you move back and forth with the waves it would create this harmony that would then toss earth out into space or send it flying into the sun or into jupiter itself and the thinking is that in the evolution of our solar system there were other planets that did resonate with jupiter and they did get thrown out or thrown into the sun or thrown into jupiter and the only ones that are left are planets that do not harmonize with jupiter and so all the orbit times in our solar system are weird ratios of each other with decimal numbers not whole numbers and here we find this place a hundred light years away where there are six planets all doing these tight little orbits around the star tighter than mercury's orbit here on our in our solar system and they are all in sync with each other they're working like a clock and so that is just really unexpected really beautiful and really exciting and so it's just a, it's a beautiful surprise in space that nobody expected to find okay let's talk about the human brain always fascinating and apparently we're not able to rewire our brains i thought we always thought we could yeah this is um this is a uh, a paper that's come out from some neuroscientists and they say, you know, everybody always talks about one of the most beautiful things about the brain is its ability to rewire. And so, for example, uh, if, if someone loses a finger, then the part of the brain that used to map to that finger now helps control other nearby fingers. And so the brain sort of got that it realized that it wasn't able to do the job it, it had once done. And so it rewired and now has a new job. And the argument they make in this big, long essay with a whole bunch of experimental evidence is that that's not really what's happening really that part of the brain was doing multiple jobs it's just the ratio of those jobs was different and so they cite experiments where they've put nerve blockers on a finger to to mimic it being lost and so telling the brain oh there's not a finger there anymore and they notice that those that part of the brain is also uh innervating those other fingers already it's not that this is like a new thing so it's maybe a bit of a semantic thing the brain can certainly do other jobs but it's not because it gets rewired and takes on a new role 
it's because the brain is versatile to start with. Okay, I almost hesitate to ask about this next story. Apparently, something happens to your fingernails after you take a walk in space. Nothing you or I are going to have to contend with, but what happens? Oh, you never know. We still might get the call. I think, John, I think a mission to space for John Moore and Dan Riskin, I think it'd be radio gold at the very least. And if we do go to space and we do uh, an extra vehicular activity or a spacewalk, what you and I need to worry about is our fingernails. Because apparently there is a massive problem with uh, astronauts getting back in in the capsule and their hands kind of hurt after a spacewalk and then they lose their fingernails. Onycholysis is the word for when your fingernail comes off. And it seems to be really common. And in fact, in 2010, there was a study of astronaut hand injuries, and there were 232 hand injuries in the database. Now, there aren't that many people that have gone to space. So the fact that they have 232 hand injuries really speaks to how widespread this is. And they can't really figure out what it is. It seems to be something to do with circulation. They found that if, if the glove is, uh, if the if the fist is wide, like the knuckles at the base of the fingers, if it's wide, you're more likely to have uh, problems with your hands after one of these spacewalks. But lots of astronauts finish a spacewalk and then their hands hurt and their fingernails fall off. So this is just one of the many challenges to living in space, going to space, never mind going to Mars uh, and the months long journey that it would take to get there. Uh, it's just another thing we need to figure out. That is creepy. I think I you, I, I've probably shot past the age at which I could be an astronaut. A friend of mine actually was in the program and she she's aged out of it, but you're young enough. Maybe you can go to outer space Uh, or to Mars. I think, I think there would have to be some radical changes to how people get to space. Uh, if maybe on private space flight and either I get very rich or it gets very cheap, but right now it's still well out of reach for me. So honeybees apparently aren't all that happy in human made hives. What's going on? Well, so there's a, a paper that's come out. It's uh, the lead author is an engineer who is looking at the thermal properties of beehives. And it's, it, it's, there's this belief that honeybees, um, they cluster together in the winter and they can keep themselves warm. And that's true. And it's been thought that that's kind of their natural biology and it's kind of what makes them happy. And so people have been just doing this every winter for their bees as a way of just, you know, like that's, that's how honeybees survive the winter. But this engineer is making the argument that that's not actually this happy thing they're doing, that a beehive is actually quite thin and exposed to the elements in a way that a uh, say a tree trunk or their natural habitats would not be and he thinks that this is a uh, basically a stress response to to cold and that they're basically going oh no it's so cold we're going to die and then they're doing this behavior in response and that is quite stressful for them and he points out that there are no you know you don't have to get there are no human proto- or no animal protocols for insects people don't worry that much about the the mental well-being of insects and and you know whether we should or not is an, is an open debate we can have that conversation but he's arguing that our habit of just letting them get really cold and seeing them bunch up and thinking that that's all great and that they're happy might not be true. And it's, I mean, the fact is it's impossible to know what a bee is thinking, but uh, it is an interesting question to bring up. Thank you, sir. Good to have you this morning. Yeah, have a good one. Thanks a lot. That's our science expert, Dan Riskin, on a test tube Thursday.